There are many things which people can be afraid of today. I'm sure each one gathered in here has their own particular thing which they are afraid of or scared of. I'm sure if I asked for a show of hands, many of you would put your hand up if I asked, who's afraid of spiders? Many people have a, a terrible fear of spiders, and if one scuttles across the floor, they no sooner see it than they're up upon the seat, their feet off the ground, and they're screaming for someone to come and get rid of it. Other people are scared of heights. When they go into a tall building, they can't go near the, the edge or go near a window because they see how far away the ground is. Other people are scared of appointments. Some are scared of going to the doctors. Some are scared of going to the opticians. Others are scared of going to the dentists. I'm sure we've all been uh, a little bit scared and, and anxious and trepidatious of going to the dentist. Maybe you've made an appointment, you've realized it's that time of the year you need to go to the dentist. And as that date approaches, you begin to get fearful. And you realize this is something I'm going to have to attend. This is something I'm going to have to go to. And all of a sudden you wonder, will everything go smoothly? Will the treatment go well? Will there be a problem found? Maybe I'll have to pay a, an exorbitant sum of money for the treatment I'm going to get. And all these thoughts and all these fears come into your mind. All because of an appointment. Sometimes we try and put things off and postpone the appointment and think, well, if I keep pushing it back, I won't have to be afraid of it as much. I'll make up some excuse as to why I can't go. Well, maybe there's something else I have to attend to, so I'll cancel it and rearrange it for another time. And you try and put off this thing because you're afraid of going to this appointment. Well, there's appointments that the Word of God tells us that each one of us will have to attend. And here in this chapter of God's Word, in Acts chapter 17, we have a variety of appointments in view in verses 30 and 31. For in this portion of Scripture from Acts 17, verse 22 down to verse 31, the Apostle Paul is in the city of Athens. And there in Athens he has seen that the city is wholly given over to idolatry, and he's so vexed and so overcome by this that he goes to Mars Hill and he preaches a great sermon to those Athenians. He shows them that they are unknowingly worshipping this unknown God, and he expounds to them who the one true and the living God is. He shows them that he is not a God who is made with hands, He's not a God who is worshipped in temples made with hands, but rather he is the creator of all things. He is one who has all power, both in heaven and earth. And Paul goes on to tell them in verse 30 that God has looked upon the ignorance of man and winked at it. Now that seems a, a strange expression to say that God winked at man's ignorance. Here Paul is saying that these Gentile people, they have been ignorant of the one true living God. Up to this point, the, the gospel had been confined to the Jewish nation. Uh, and these people, they had been ignorant of the fact that they were sinners. Ignorant of the fact that there is a coming day of judgment. Ignorant of the fact that they are sinners and they're going to be judged for their sins. But now Paul tells them, 
God will no longer overlook their ignorance. God will no longer overlook the fact that they had not received the gospel message. For now the message of the gospel is going through all the world. That great commission had been given to his disciples to preach the gospel unto every creature. And now God says that he will no longer overlook this fact that they were ignorant of what they were doing. God will not overlook sin. God will not overlook your sin. You are no longer ignorant of the fact that you are a sinner because it has been told to you tonight from the word of God. And so Paul, by way of showing them that God is no longer going to overlook this fact, he goes on to show them that God has made a variety of appointments for man. For in verses 30 through to 31, we see three appointments that Paul speaks of. And that is simply our topic for tonight, three appointments made for man. And I want you to consider firstly with me the duty that is appointed for men. Look with me at verse 30. The end of the verse, Paul says, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Oh, here Paul states, this is what God expects from man. Here is a duty. Here is something which man has to do. Here is a commandment given by God. God commandeth all men everywhere to repent. This is God's great charge, God's great instruction towards all of humanity, that all men should repent. Paul here says this is a duty. And there are certain things that we can notice about this duty that Paul speaks of as being appointed unto men. Think upon the fact that this is essential. For a duty is something which you must attend to. A duty is something which must be obeyed. It is vital, it is of paramount importance. And so it is here that Paul, under inspiration of the Holy Ghost, tells these people that God commandeth all men everywhere to repent. This is not something that Paul has determined. This is not a message that has been fabricated by man. This is not something that has been concocted through someone's imagination. This is a direct command from God. That all men should repent of their sin. Oh, don't think that this is something that is not for you. Don't think that this is only for a small, certain group of people to obey. Don't be deceived into thinking that this is not something that you tonight must obey. This is a command given from the Lord himself. This is not something that is optional. This is not something which many would say is just a lifestyle choice. I'm sure you've heard that before. You might have been witnessing to a friend and they say, well, that's your choice. That's just the way you want to live your life. That's just something that you want to do. Oh, it's much more than that, friends. It's a command of God. God commandeth all to repent. Indeed, the very first words that are recorded off our Savior's earthly ministry are these words, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
the very first recorded words of our Savior was repent. Repent. Does that not highlight the essential nature of this duty? Does that not show us the importance of repenting, of turning away from your sin, of turning unto God and righteousness? The very fact that the first words recorded of our Savior were repent ye. Or you might say, why do I need to repent? Why do I need to turn away from my sin? Why do I need to turn unto God? Well, the Bible tells us all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible tells us there is none righteous, no, not one. The Bible tells us that there is none that doeth good. The Bible tells us for all we like sheep have turned astray. Every one of us have gone after our own way. The Bible tells us that each and every one of us has sinned. The Word of God tells us that we are born in iniquity. This is why you must repent. Because each person is born into this world as a sinner and has sinned against a holy God and God cannot abide sin and therefore he will judge sin. Did you know the Lord said later on in his earthly ministry, except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Oh, I'm sure you, you don't need me to tell you that each one of us will die. Each one of us has only a, a finite amount of time alive on this earth. But death is so much more than just a physical death. Death is threefold. There is a physical death, yes. There is a spiritual death. For the soul that sinneth that shall die. That soul shall be condemned to an eternity in hell. And therein lies the third death that is eternal. This is why it is essential that you repent from your sin. It is essential that you repent because if you do not repent, then you shall all likewise perish. Well, the Shorter Catechism, speaking about repentance and how to escape the wrath of God, it says, to escape the wrath and curse of God due to us for sin, God requireth of us faith in Jesus Christ, repentance unto life. It says God requires it. In other words, it is essential. You cannot be saved if you do not repent from your sin and turn unto God. But we don't just see that this duty is essential. This duty is also universal. For Paul says, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. This is a command for all. This is a universal command. This is something that is given to every single person upon this earth. This is a command given to me. This is a command given to you. Don't be confused or deceived into thinking that this is not for you. You are within that phrase, all men, everywhere. It doesn't discriminate between Protestant or Catholic. It doesn't discriminate between British or Irish. It doesn't discriminate between European or American or whatever form of category you care to mention. It says all men. All men everywhere must repent. 
Oh, the gospel is for all kindreds, for all nations, for all tongues. It's for all men. Think about all those verses which I'm sure are very familiar to many of you. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but should have everlasting life. Do you see those words, whosoever? It's encompassing of everyone. Anyone who shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all, all should come into repentance. Well, this command is universal. It's for everyone. This command is essential. This command is universal, but this command is also penitential. For it says that God commandeth all men to repent. You know, in these days, so many have a confused understanding about what repentance is. So many think that repentance is simply feeling sorry for something. They think that if you just say, I am sorry for this, that that is repentance. But you know, you can say sorry for something, but that doesn't mean that you've actually turned away from that thing that was wrong. I'm sure for many of you who are parents here tonight, you've maybe seen your child doing something that they shouldn't do. You, you give them a bit of a telling off and they sheepishly turn around and they, they give you those big eyes and they say, sorry. But as soon as you turn your back, they're back doing that thing you told them not to do. Oh yes, they said, they said sorry. The words came from their mouth, but they haven't turned away from that thing. And so repentance isn't simply saying sorry. Repentance is a full turning away from that which is wrong, that which is wicked, that which is against God, and turning unto God in righteousness. It's not just feeling sorry, it's understanding that you have sinned against a holy God. That you have grieved God by doing that which is in his sight wicked. There must be an understanding that God is holy. That you have fallen short of that. That you are due his wrath and his condemnation. Oh, there must be contrition and confession, yes. But there must be an understanding that this is not a superficial matter. But this is a heart matter. The prophet Joel in his book, in Joel chapter 2 verse 13 says, Rend your heart and not your garments, and turn unto the Lord your God. Oh, it's very easy to do an outward repentance. It's very easy to, as the Israelites did in those days, to tear your clothes apart and outwardly look like you have sorrow for what you have done. But Joel says you are to rend your heart. This is a, a deeper matter. This is not superficial. There must be an understanding that you have sinned against God. And that you were going to turn from your sin unto him. We don't just see the duty that is appointed for man in these verses. But secondly, we also see the day that is appointed for man. For in verse 31, Paul begins by saying... Because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness. Here we see a, a, a further reason why Paul says to the Athenians why they must repent of their sins. 
It's not just that, yes, God has commanded them to repent, but also that there is a coming day of judgment. That there is a time when they will have to answer for all of the things which they have done on this earth. Or there will be a day of reckoning for all men. The word of God says, be sure your sins will find you out. You might be here tonight and think, well, I've done these things, but no one knows. No one knows what I've done. I'll be fine. No one's going to find out about these things. But God knows. God knows every single thing that we have done. Every single thing that we have said. Even every single thing we have thought. Be sure your sins will find you out. This will be a day of judgment. And the word of God clearly sets forth that we shall all be judged at the judgment seat of Christ. And here we see that Paul says to these Athenians that God has appointed a day for this judgment. Notice that this is a certain day. For he says, he hath appointed. This is something that's already been decided. Something that's already fixed. Something that's already been decreed. Something that has been set in stone from eternity past. This is not an appointment which will be changed. It's not an appointment like we can make at the dentist and phone up and cancel it and rearrange for another time. This is something that is certain. Something that will happen and something that is fixed. Whenever you make an appointment, it has a certain or a specific day that it will happen on. You phone up your dentist and you say, I need an appointment. I want my teeth checked up. And they'll maybe say, right, our first appointment is available on this day. And you say, yes, that day, it sounds good to me. And there you have a day that is appointed for that very reason. And here the word of God tells us that there is indeed a day that has been appointed for man to be judged. We've been singing about it already in our hymns. Have you noticed? One of the hymns that we were singing there is based on that verse found in Hebrews 9 verse 27 which says, And it is appointed unto men once to die. After this, the judgment. Just as certain as it is that every single one of us will die, so it is also certain that there is a day of judgment. Whenever we die, we know that there will be a day of judgment. It is certain. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Doesn't say some of us. Doesn't say only a few of the worst sinners will appear before Christ. It doesn't say you, you might appear before Christ. It doesn't say there's a possibility. It doesn't say, well, well maybe you, you, if you do these things, you will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Though the word of God says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. It's inclusive. We must all appear. It says we must. It's certain. It's set in stone. It's not an appointment that we can run away from. 
It's not an appointment that we can think, well, I'll put that one off. Oh no, it is certain. This isn't just a certain appointment. It is also a coming appointment. Because he has appointed a day in the future when he shall come in judgment. And it is quickly approaching. And as appointments go, so often we we make an appointment and then it's very easily forgotten about. You you maybe think, well, it's it's over a month away. I've got a good bit of time before that appointment comes. And time marches on, marches on, and very soon you realize this appointment is very quickly approaching. Maybe it's again, just to use the example, it's the dentist. And you realize, my my appointment is coming tomorrow. And then you you get the toothbrush out and you vigorously scrub your teeth, thinking it will do a bit of good and make a bit of difference. After all, it's the neglect you've given them. But you realize that this is an appointment which is quickly approaching. And so it is with this day appointed for men. This is a day that is quickly approaching. Many of the prophets in their prophecies, they said the words, the day of the Lord cometh. Time and time again, they said to Israel, the day of the Lord cometh. And the message does not change tonight. God still says to you, the day of the Lord cometh. Think upon those words that we read in 1 Thessalonians 5 2. The day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. It approaches quickly. It approaches unexpectedly. You might be like that man we read off in Luke 16. He died and lifted up his eyes, being in hell, being in torments. He didn't expect to be there. That day approached very quickly for him. It might be very, very soon for you. I wonder, are you ready for that day? Are you ready for this day that is coming? This is not an appointment that you can put off. This is certain. This is fixed. We can prepare for appointments on this earth. We can prepare for going to the dentist. We can prepare for going to the doctor or the optician. But you can also prepare for this coming day. I wonder, are you prepared? Have you repented of your sin? Have you turned away from sin and turned unto God? Have you cried for God to forgive you for your sin? Are you ready for this coming day? This isn't just a certain day or a coming day, but this is also a conclusive day. For this will be a day of judgment. It will be a day when God will judge all men. It will be a day of trial. A day when the books shall be opened and the Lord will read out all that men have done. And will judge them according to their deeds. And it won't be a, a, a day of judgment like we would look upon our courts in this land or in other lands. So often you can read of stories of Cases being brought to courts and there's no verdict given. The jury haven't been able to decide what what verdict should be passed. Or maybe they've been deliberating for weeks and weeks and months and months. And there's just no decision that is made. This day will not be like that. This day will be conclusive. This day will be definitive. This day will be final. That decision will be final. 
There'll be no retrial. There'll be no second chance. There'll be no chance of appeal. It'll be conclusive in its entirety. Turn with me, if you would, to Revelation chapter 20, and you'll see something of this this day. Revelation chapter 20 and the verse 12. Here we see an account of what happens on this great judgment day. Revelation 20 and verse 12. And I saw the dead, small and great. There we see how it's all men. None are excluded from this day of judgment. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Oh, there will be an abundance of evidence against you. An abundance. Everything you've ever done is recorded in those books. There'll be ample evidence to pass verdict on you. It'll be conclusive. There's so much evidence that it would be impossible not to give a verdict. Oh, I wonder what verdict will be given upon you. How will it be with you on that day? When you stand with the small and the great on that judgment day? Will you be amongst those who will be judged and condemned for your sin? Will you be amongst those who that ruling will be so conclusive uh, and there will be no reprieve but there will be eternal suffering and punishment in hell? Well, this is the day of grace. There's no second chances after this life. But notice with me, thirdly and finally, that there is also a divine judge that is appointed for men. For we see not only a duty appointed for men and a day appointed for men, but we see a divine judge that is also appointed for men in verse 31. For it says there, In the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. Oh, this judge that is appointed for this day is none other than the second person of the Trinity, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the judge. This is the one who will pass verdict on that day. This is who this verse is speaking of. The exalted, the risen Savior. Notice about this judge that he is revealed as unique. For it says, by that man whom he hath ordained. Jesus Christ has been ordained, or in other words, appointed for this position. He is the only one who is able to fulfill this position and has been appointed from eternity to fulfill this position as judge of all the world. In Acts chapter 10, we read that uh, the Lord commanded the disciples to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of quick and dead. Jesus Christ is ordained to judge on this judgment day. He will judge. He is the only one fitted for this position. He is the only one 
who has the, the authority, the only one who has the qualities and the characteristics to fill this position. He alone has perfect wisdom. He alone has perfect righteousness. He alone is perfectly holy. He alone, as mediator, is able to fulfill this position. He who is both God and man is the only one who can judge on this great day. But notice he is also revealed as unbiased, for he will judge the world in righteousness. This is not a judge like we find in our courtrooms, one who could possibly be bribed, one who could possibly receive some payment to change his verdict or his ruling. But this is one who is perfectly righteous and will judge in righteousness. In other words, he will judge truthfully and honestly. He will judge according to your deeds, as are written in those books that we read off a few moments ago. His opinion, his decision, it cannot be swayed. It cannot be altered, but he will judge according to his righteousness. Abraham said of the Lord, shall not the judge of all the world do right? He only can do right. As he is perfect, he can't do wrong. And the Lord on that great day, he will judge righteously and justly. There can be no complaint on that day of saying that the Lord has been unfair or you have received ample opportunity to repent of your sin. You've heard the message of the gospel. You've heard that there is a coming day of judgment. You've heard that you, you must get right with God and there's no, there's no reason that you can say, this is unfair that I am being judged righteously. For you've heard that you must repent. But notice also he's not just revealed as unique or as unbiased, but he is also revealed undeniably. For Paul goes on to say, Whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. Here is the proof. Here is the assurance that this is indeed who is going to be the judge. The very fact that he has been raised from the dead is evidence that he will judge the world at the last day. His resurrection showed that his sacrifice had been accepted by the Father. He ascended up into heaven, sat at the Father's right hand, and when he comes again, he shall judge the world. We read in Romans 1 and verse 4 that Christ is declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. The resurrection declares who Jesus Christ is. It declares him to be the Son of God. It declares him to be the coming judge of the world. Or even says of himself in John's Gospel, that he has authority to execute judgment because he also is the Son of God. Jesus Christ undeniably is this judge, a judge unlike any in this world, a judge who is uniquely suited for this position, a judge who is unbiased and will not be swayed by man's arguments, a judge who is 
undeniably revealed to us in the word of God. One who possesses all power in heaven and earth. A judge before whom every knee shall bow. Saved and unsaved alike. Let me change that. A judge before before whom all of us shall bow. Each one and here we shall bow that that day before Christ. And he shall pass verdict upon you. But what verdict will that be? Have you turned from your sin? Have you repented? Have you sought forgiveness from him? Have you cried unto him to have mercy upon you? But remember this is a command given from God. These are not my words. These are not the words of the Free Presbyterian Church. This is the word of God. He commands all men everywhere to repent. Well, if you haven't obeyed yet, will you not obey tonight? Will you not cry on the Lord to forgive you for your sins? That day is coming. It's coming very quickly. Will you be prepared for that great day? Will you be ready for that day when Christ shall judge us and judge us righteously? Will you not cry on him to save you tonight? Will you not cry for forgiveness? Will you not recognize that you are a sinner in need of a savior? We were saying it earlier in our service. He is able. He is able. He's willing to save you now. Let's all bow in a word of prayer. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for Thy Word, how it provides us with these warnings and these instructions. Lord, we cannot claim ignorance tonight, for Thou hast told us in Thy Word that Thou commandest us to repent from our sin. Thou hast shown to us that there is indeed a day that is coming in which Thou wilt judge the world in righteousness. Oh, we cannot say that we haven't been forewarned We cannot say that we didn't know this was going to happen. But Lord, we pray that men and women and young people would turn from their sin and turn unto thee. That they would cry like that penitent sinner of old, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Oh Lord, we know that those who come to thee, thou wilt in no wise cast out. Save souls, we pray. Restore the backslidden. Glorify thy Son. Part us now with thy fear and with thy favor. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.